Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pukolsky. Another special episode of the Q&A, pulling questions directly from Ashley's brain, from Instagram, from Twitter, and from our website. You guys can reach out to us at any of those places. Instagram is BPAC Fitness, and Ashley is the Muscle Maven. That's right. I am on Twitter at IFBB Ben Pukolsky. You are the Muscle Maven. Yep. And at muscleintelligence.com slash podcast, you guys can go right there right now and ask any questions you want about me, about her, or about any podcast we've done in the past, and we'll do our best to answer right now. She's going to take the lead. All right. We're getting down to brass tacks here. We're going to talk about training because training. it's very easy for us to go into I, some very weird- I like to weird... pretend that I know a little bit about that stuff. Yeah. You like to muscle. talk about some of the crazier, weirder, esoteric stuff, but some of us really just want to know about how to get biceps. school. Okay. But some of this, I mean, this can go in a couple of different directions, but we got a bunch of good questions on how social you get media. such big guns? Me, personally, I do have really big guns, right? Yeah, <laughs> genetic genetics. Now, I mean, this that can we talk about this for a second? Because it's so I mentioned this on social media that one of the things that I love the most about the body that I've built is also the thing that I'm the most insecure about. I don't know if this is something that dudes have to deal with. That's like you kind of love it and hate it at the same time because women have a really hard time building their upper body. We know this. Like chicks get in the gym, start squatting, start doing CrossFit. They're like squatting double their body weight in like two months, and they've got these massive quads that men would dream of, right? But upper body very hard. Like we start out with nothing. Androgen basically. receptor density is just higher in the lower body. For whatever reason, maybe it's because I did gymnastics as a kid and then I went into swimming and everything I did was just building all this meat right here, all the delts, all the back. But I started like when I got into lifting weights when I was 15, 16, I started out with a base that most women don't have. And then for whatever reason, I guess because I had an older brother and I watched too much wrestling, I went into the gym and instead of doing like, I don't know, Pilates or jumping jacks, I was doing bicep curls when I was 16 by myself, just crushing bicep curls. So <laughs> I haven't stopped. And then I got into CrossFit and bodybuilding and arm wrestling and you name it. Like everything that I've done is just like, just just sculpting the guns. But now I don't fit into anything that has sleeves. We're going to change you from the muscle maybe to the gun show. What do you think? I mean, I... I think we should do it. Gun show is a part of my life forever, but yes. Okay, so we're getting off track already, but I do have some questions about reps and sets and everybody has these questions. One of the first ones that actually just came from social media that I really like this question, I think we could probably go pretty deep into this one, is about bulking. How much bulk do you have? Like, do you have to gain a certain amount of fat? Is there a diminishing return when you gain a certain amount of fat? Are we just using this as an excuse to eat whatever we want? How does bulking work even? Yeah, I think it does matter how much fat you have, right? Like the lower you keep your body fat, the better on, in general for building muscle because we want to balance out or, or optimize, I should say, our testosterone ratios. Like the more fat we have, the more our body converts testosterone into estrogen. So the leaner we can be while bulking, the better. At the same time... You know, it's, it's absolutely necessary to eat as many calories as, as necessary to fuel maximum performance. And that often needs to be the way we kind of gauge it, right? So, are you eating enough carbohydrate to fuel hard workouts? And probably not all that much more, right? So, I don't really think there's a massive need to consume a tremendous amount of carbohydrate over and above what your body needs to perform. So, if you're, you know, um, you know an average human being, you probably can get by with three to 400 grams of carbohydrates a day, provided you're training really, really hard. And and this is obviously a very subjective thing, but so, you know, you get a lot of guys who say, oh, I'm eating a thousand grams of carbs a day. Well, is that actually in any way benefiting you other than increasing your inflammation, potentially increasing insulin resistance, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I think 
the objective of eating more calories and more carbohydrates is not a good objective. The objective is to grow and to feel performance, not to just eat as much food as I possibly can. So thinking about it that way, guys, it, like always start off making sure you're hitting at least your foundational protein, right? One gram per pound lean body weight. Well, actually, I suggest one gram per pound, period, even if it's not lean body weight. And you can go above that. So, and I use that as a jumping off point. So, if, you, if you're eating that much and you still feel like you're still you're sore after your workouts, you can bump it up to like 1.25, as high as 1.5 grams per pound, but that's high. And I don't think there's any problem with being high, but that's kind of your foundation. And then carbohydrates start at the same place, right? So, anyone who starts with me, I'm going to start you at a gram per pound bulking. Mm-hmm. So, you're looking almost a one-to-one ratio of, of or exactly a one-to-one ratio of carbs and proteins and see how that works, right? See, how, if, do I feel great performing in the gym? And sometimes if you're not feeling energetic, going up is not always the good way, right? So, going down might be a better place because if you're insulin resistant, if you go up in carbohydrates, it's going to make me feel more sluggish. So, depending on what your symptom is, if you're feeling like you're sluggish, I'm going to bring your carbs down, bring your your fats up. If you're feeling like you're not getting a pump, that's when I'll start pushing your, your carbs up a little bit more. Um, we want to make sure you're recovering. We want to make sure you're, you're able to get that workout in at least that body part in at least twice a week or every body part in at least twice a week. So, as far as the total amount of calories, my suggestion is starting just 500 calories over your BMR because you don't need a tremendous amount of calories to build muscle, right? Depending on how active you are, right? So, if you're someone who's very active, you need to go significantly above your BMR. But provided you have like an average activity level, we establish a BMR, we go five, plus 500 calories. That's really it. And most of those calories are going to come from carbohydrate. Like I say, about 100 gram, maybe, maybe it would be about 100 gram of carbohydrate. Where does the fat fit into all this? Fill in the rest. Okay. So, that's literally what I do. So, it'll give you one gram per pound of lean body mass or sorry, one gram per pound body weight period for protein, one gram per pound carb, and then fill the rest of your calories in with fat. And those fat sources matter, right? So, when you're taking in that much carbohydrate, it's really suggested to not consume a lot of saturated fat because that's when saturated fat starts to become a little bit worrisome is when you're combining with carbohydrate, as you know. Um, so, we want to take in more monounsaturated fats. We want to stick with things like almonds and, and olive oil and avocados. And those are kind of your primary sources of fat. That's actually really helpful because those are some very like tangible steps that people can take and start doing the calculations for themselves. And I think one thing to keep in mind here is that I think what you're saying is bulking isn't about how much weight you can put on as quickly as you can and then still go out and lift. It's about how actually how little you can increase your calories and your weight and still increase your hypertrophy or your strength. Yeah, Yeah, You don't need a tremendous amount of calories over your BMR to grow. Most people don't, right? So, but most people are are aiming to get, oh, I want to eat a thousand calories of carbs a day. But all that's happening is your body's just going to burn through it faster. You're just going to increase your metabolic rate. You're going to oxidize more more nutrients. Yeah. So, that's not necessarily the goal, right? Do you ultimately want to eat more? Sure. That's a great thing. Like, it's nice to be able to eat a lot of food. Uh, it's nice to be able to say, I can eat whatever I want and get lean, but that's not the goal, right? The goal is like, ultimately, it should be to eat as little as you possibly can and grow, right? That's the that's the target. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's actually one thing that I say is sets apart pro bodybuilders or the great pro bodybuilders from the ones that don't succeed. So, the ones who have to eat, and I was this way, the ones who had to eat a tremendous amount of food to grow usually don't succeed because, the constant necessity to eat, one, is very, very stressful to your body. It ages you faster and also distends your stomach. So, the guys who are really, really successful are the guys who can get by eating like two meals a day and still maintain all their muscle, right? You look at a guy like Flex Lewis in the off season, he looks the same way he does on stage or very close to it and eats two meals a day. I'm like, dude, how do you do that? Like, if I did that, I look like a swimmer. Well, it's because I just maintain my muscle. Okay. So, as I got, you know, more 
advanced my career further on my career, I learned how to eat less and maintain more muscle. And then I started to grow really, really well, really mm-hmm. effectively. So like what are all those things? So it's not about what you eat. It's about what your body does with what you eat or what you absorb and assimilate. So I want to make sure I'm, I'm optimizing my my stress. I want to make sure I'm optimizing my digestion. I'm taking digestive enzymes. I'm making sure that I'm eating at the right times of the day, the highest quality food that I possibly can. That shit all matters, mm-hmm. right? Because everything goes in. One has to be processed by my digestive tract. Two has to be processed by my liver and my kidneys. So I need to make sure that all the food that's going in is high quality and not adding to the toxic burden on my body, not adding to the stress, not adding to the inflammation, right? The more I keep my inflammation down, the better my body composition is, the better my body uses the carbohydrates that I eat. So it's all those things that people are just totally misguided when it comes to gaining muscle. Does the nutrient timing matter more or less or at all uh, when you're bulking versus if you're trying to lose body fat? I think it does. I think so. Nutrient timing is one of those controversial topics that people will argue about, but the reality is at a low level, nutrient timing doesn't matter, right? At the highest level for performance, nutrient timing absolutely does matter. Uh, But I think it matters all the time whether you're trying to gain or lose because the real objective is like, I want to make sure my body's fueled when it needs to be fueled and not digesting when it's supposed to be sleeping. Mm. So, you know, realizing that if I'm in a highly sympathetic state, so a highly stressed state, my body doesn't digest. So, I don't want to be eating, you know, like a tremendous amount of calories. I, d- I don't want my biggest meal after my workout, which is contrary to what most people think, right? Like if it is after the workout, you better make sure it's like 60 to 90 minutes after the workout. So, you're out of that sympathetic state, you're into a parasympathetic state, and then you can push the calories, right? So, post-workout, we want to make sure we're taking in high amount of carbohydrate, from liquid so we can start mitigating the cortisol response and preparing our body to eat, preparing our body for food. It's not ready to eat after you train, right? So nutrient timing, most people are like, I'm going to eat this big meal after your workout and your stomach all bloated, you want to eat for four or five hours afterwards. So paying attention to your kind of baseline state, your baseline state of stress, your parasympathetic balance, it's vital to growth, right? So when you are bulking and you're trying to do a healthy bulk, you want to eat maybe a bigger, heartier meal well before you work out so that you're fueled to go into the workout? Well, I don't think what you eat before the workout that day is as relevant as most people think. So, if you're eating... So, if I'm today being, call it Wednesday, and I'm training tomorrow, what I eat today is more important for my workout tomorrow, right? Like, I need to make sure that my glycogen stores are replenished. So, like I said... Could you not be doing that at breakfast though? Like, say if we're doing an afternoon workout... Yeah, sure you could. Again, the ideal time to eat before training is 90 minutes and it doesn't need to be a big meal because that that is not necessarily the greatest contributing factor, right? It's like sleep. It's the nervous system preparedness. It's, I think what you ate the day before and are you allowing that food to digest and absorb, absorb assimilate and, and influence your nervous system in a positive way so your nervous system calms down and then goes into the regenerating mode 24 hours before. Can you eat a workout or eat a meal 90 minutes to two to three hours before that will potentially influence performance? Potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but realizing that glycogen synthesis takes time. It takes 72 hours to replenish glycogen. So that meal you eat before the workout is very, very little immediate effect, right? So, And what I'm hearing here too is that that kind of old myth about the anabolic window and if you don't drink your protein within 20 minutes of your workout, you won't have any gains is not an accurate thing. For most of us. Well, I think the only time that comes into play is when you're training that body part again really, really soon, maybe within that 72-hour window, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, if you're training the same body part two and three times a week, then that, that window does matter. And if you're not, it doesn't, right? So, okay. at a high level, like if I'm, if I'm a professional bodybuilder right now, I'm training that body part three times a week in most cases, big body parts twice, small body parts three times. So, if I'm training a small body part, I do want to take advantage of that window. And even if it's 1%, even if it's a half a percent at that level, 
I'm worried about it, right? Like I, I want to get that in there. So is it subjective completely? But if you're looking to kind of, you know, pay attention to all those little places where you can pick up a half a percentage point, then you do definitely take advantage of the post-workout window. These again are like sort of elite level tweaks when everything else is perfectly sorted so out. For it's going to start mattering. I'm not competing. I don't care about a post-workout window at all, right? Because likelihood of me training the same body part twice in 72 hours is very, very small. Mm -hmm. So it's not affecting my progress at all. Is it? Is it killing your gains? Absolutely not. It's only going to, if anything, kill your immediate long or your long-term, sorry, your immediate performance if you're going to train it again. I think one of the high level things that we can get from this one and the, the individual who asked this question is, yes, there are diminishing returns to just going like balls out and eating as much as you can yeah, and gaining silly. a bunch of fat. You want to do this in like the most minimal way that you can right. do it and still so, again, have growth. There may, to answer that question again, there may be some benefits to doing short-term massive overfeedings, right? There may be some metabolic benefit to that. Um, something that I haven't really thought through that much in recent years, but as far as I, I think the benefit, and I say massive overeating, I'm not talking like 10 or 15,000 calories, but I'm talking like eating the healthiest foods you can to absolute satiety. There's probably metabolic benefit to that, right? So the, the kind of latest research is showing a 5-2 nutrition approach is really, really interesting, right? So we're going to do five days of calorie depletion and two days of, of calorie refeeding. So if you're in a you know, preparing for a bodybuilding show or sort of a contest, doing five days lower of, of, you know, not massively below your BMR, but below your BMR, followed by two days that are actually, you know, kind of self-regulated, slightly higher calories is a really good way to allow you to get the, the lower calories during the week. So you're getting the fat loss benefit and then not getting the metabolic shutdown. So you're getting those two days, two to three days of kind of replenishing what you're depleting during the week. Okay. Next question. This is something that I feel embarrassingly naive about being a bodybuilder, but this whole pump thing, you got to do the workout, you got to get a pump at the end. And it's all about the pump. And to me, that always seemed like it was just the aesthetic thing. It's like, it just looks good. I just want to take some pictures of my cool, veins bro. popping out. Yeah. What is a pump doing? Like, is it, is, is there some yeah, actual there training benefit. benefit to it? There is. Yeah. Blood flow? Yeah. Again, this research is a little bit um, new. But the suggestion is that cell swelling does have some type of signaling effect on on muscle building. Now, like a new research, right? So do we know it's going to stand up? We don't know that. But we know we, we do believe that cell swelling in and of itself, sending more blood to the area is delivering more nutrients and, and, and creating some type of signaling effect within the fascia to get the muscles to expand with my belief within the maybe even in within each individual cell to get them to expand. I don't know. This is what this is actually Brad Schoenfeld's research. Mm. Again, whether or not it stands up over the test of time, who knows? But currently, the belief is that cell swelling does have a, an effect on muscle building. All right. So, bros and lady bros doing your, your um, flexing in the mirror, taking pics, like it's good for your training, apparently. Well, posing is a whole different thing, right? Absolutely. Posing is something I think everyone should That's be doing. That's not what I'm talking about. Even if you're not. I'm talking yeah. about like getting a pump on. I got to get my pump at the gym. It's like, do right. the workout, dude. Like if the end goal is the pump, it just seems a little bit silly well, to Arnold me. said it was cool. Yeah. Well, Arnold also said that he's going to eat vegan now. So he- God, he lost all credibility, didn't really he? really hurt my feelings. Out the window. I think a lot of people threw <laughs> the encyclopedia out the window. I took it very personally when I saw that on social media. I'm like, all of my heroes are dead. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. How often should you switch up your uh, sets and rep schemes? If you're doing like straight up bodybuilding prep, you're in there four or five times a week, you're in doing six work, you know, six- exercises, reps and sets, how often should you be switching that up? Four to six weeks. Okay. So your body needs time to adapt to the stimulus. So 
the way I, I kind of teach this to people is volume knobs, right? So let's say we have three volume knobs. One is going to be a strength stimulus. One is going to be a hypertrophy stimulus. One is going to be a metabolic stimulus. And, you know, average people typically go in the gym and train the same way day in, day out. And so each of those volume knobs is turned up to whatever relative proportion it is. So, so let's say strength is turned up to a six and hypertrophy is turned up to a six and metabolic is turned up to a three. And everyone kind of does the same workout over and over and over again with the same relative amount of stimulus. So then the only way to make progress is to work harder. And now each of those has to, those volume knobs has to go up. Well, the way we should look at it is we should look at it like, well, which volume knobs are turned up? There should be one to two turned up and one turned almost all the way down at all times. So if you're training a hypertrophy-based stimulus, we want to have a hypertrophy and strength stimulus or a hypertrophy and metabolic stimulus, um, but never all three, or not typically all three, we should say never. But so we, we kind of push the, the the envelope a little bit on one or two of them and push those up. So let's say we start with hypertrophy and strength at, say hypertrophy starts at, or strength starts at five, hypertrophy starts at two. We want to keep pushing those up, pushing them up, pushing them up till the point of like, say they're one, you know, they're both at an eight. Now we know the only way to get response is to do more work. Well, that's a, sometimes there's a point where doing more work means more stress and the stress is going to override the work. So we don't want to push so high on those stimuli. So when that, now this is kind of a, a subjective thing here, but you know, what does it mean to get to an eight out of 10? Well, if you have to work really, really, really hard within a workout, you know, to, to elicit any type of response, it's probably creating more stress than is necessary. The objective in, in hypertrophy training or any type of training is to not necessarily subject your body to a massive amount of stress, it's subjected to the smallest amount of stress possible to elicit a response. So when we have this volume knob over here, call it the metabolic stimulus that's turned weight down in this case. Now, if I turn it from a one to a 1.2, I've got a metabolic response. So an example being if I've done a, a strength training program, which is predominantly strength training with a little bit of hypertrophy training, and I just introduce one drop set, right? So instead of doing, you know, sets of six today, I'm going to do a set of six and another set of six, and maybe I'll do two of those. Well, that's just a little bit of an incre incremental increase in metabolic stimulus, but it's probably enough to elicit a response within the muscle. So you don't have to now do a tremendous amount of metabolic stimulus. So you don't have to shift the stimulus completely, right? So this is gradual shift over time. And I think that that kind of thought process is very useful for people. It's challenging to write workouts like that, where it's like actually building in the incremental progress. Mm. Uh, it's very challenging to do that, but that's the ideal scenario, right? You don't want to shift from doing a really strength-based stimulus to a really metabolic stimulus. You can, but you're just missing opportunities within that, right? So sometimes we may deload a strength-based stimulus with like a week of metabolic stimulus and then go back to a strength-based stimulus. We could do that, but just realizing that at any one time, you shouldn't, in most instances, be training all the same stimulus, at least within the same workout. We could potentially do it within the same week or within the same training block, but um, you always want to be aware of like the day that you have to work at a 10 out of 10 on any one of those stimulus, there's going to be a tremendous amount of stress associated with that, right? Like if you haven't been in the gym in three months and you go in the gym, the smallest amount of work is going to get your response. And if I've been going to the gym every single day diligently for four months and doing the same type of training, the same strength stimulus. Now I need a tremendous amount of stimulus to give me just even a little bit of response, right? So we want to try to minimize the amount of stimulus necessary. And that's just by strategically varying what type of stimulus we're subjecting our body to. 
So again, it's minimum effective dose. Always. It's like work smarter. Okay. Well, I don't know if a, I don't like to say minimum effective dose because that sounds like like the easy way out, right? It still has to be hard. It still has to be challenging, but it's never maximum effective dose, right? Mm-hmm. People are talking now about maximum perceived effort or something, right? Or um, yeah, like we we don't want to do it's no, it's maximum recoverable volume is what they're talking, about, mm-hmm. right? We don't want we don't want to do maximum recoverable volume when it comes to hypertrophy training. It's silly because you're you're creating this inflammation and this huge amount of stress in the body that your body has to recover from before it's going to go into a growth mode, right? We don't want to do that. I know that this is obviously very dependent on how far along somebody is in their um, training or what kind of muscle um, age that they have, like how long they've been working out and all that kind of stuff. But is there sort of like an optimal minimum or maximum or amount of uh, times that you can hit a body part per week for like optimal hypertrophy and growth? Um, That's a great question. So, the reality is the newer you are or the less well you execute a movement, the more often you can do it, right? Mm. So, if you have a body part that's kind of not responding really well or you're relatively new to the gym, the amount of stimulus you create is very low. So, guess what? We can do it more often. It's not going to deplete. It's not going to challenge the nervous system all that much. You can do it up to five days a week. Someone who's more advanced may only be able to do it once a week, right? Or once every five days. So, it depends on someone's skill set and someone's um, like kind of training age, how long they've been doing it, how long they've been doing it well, and their ability to contract that muscle. So, people out there who are of this belief that, hey, I'm training everything once a week, I'm not building any muscle. Well, guess what? That's probably the reason why you're not building muscle. One, your execution probably sucks. Two, you're probably not training this thing often enough. So, training things more often is useful. So, again, muscle is looking at 24. So, depending on how hard you train, right? Muscle, muscle looks at between 24 and 72 hours to fully recover. So, if I'm getting after it really, really hard and I'm really good at contracting this muscle, I'm going to give it at least 72 hours. If I kind of suck at this, I didn't really feel it or I didn't really focus, I didn't do a lot of work, it could be training again 24 hours later. So, you know, how often you train is very, very subjective. That's really interesting though. Like I would think what you're saying makes sense, but if I didn't think about it before I responded, you'd think that people who were you know, professional and professional, but like they'd be able to hit legs three to four times a week because they just know what they're doing. But that's what you're saying is the exact reason why they can't do it because they can make that mind muscle connection that well, some requires people have that a tremendous recoverability, recovery. right? If yeah. your recoverability is high at that time, like there's certainly times where I train body parts three times a week at a high level, but I've worked up to that, right? So it's kind of this, you know, when you're new, you're training it more often, and then you work up to this scenario where you're training it, you know, maybe once every five to seven days. And then you start building on that, right? So it's almost like this V, like where you're starting with high amount of frequency, working up to this one time a week. That's really, really hard workout. And then you're not, then you're doing that consecutively for a few weeks. And then, well, that's not working anymore. Now let's go from every five days to every four days, right? And then you increase the frequency that way. Um, so it's almost this, um, this, you know, kind of mountain. So you're basically saying, I mean, Based on my expertise, I only need to do bicep curls like once a month. Right. Yeah. Got right. it. Okay. I'm just gonna say every six weeks. <laughs> okay. This is actually a really good question um, that came from Instagram. What can you do, and what do you do outside of the gym to help facilitate and kind of solidify that mind muscle connection? So when you're not in the gym doing that work, posing. Okay. So I think the worst thing that happened to bodybuilding in the last ten years was they removed the scoring of the posing. Hmm. I think it's destroyed the physiques, including mine. You know, so you're early in my career. I posed hours a day. Like when I was at home, I was like, I got to practice my posing. I need to do this because it's a big part of the routine. I, I, I loved it. And then as soon, like literally the day when they said it's no longer being judged, I stopped and my physique suffered. So what do you mean it's not being judged anymore? They don't judge posing. 
So it's literally just what you look like and the symmetry well, and what they so like. So like the compulsory poses are being judged, okay. but not the routines. Huh. I did not know that. What about people, though, who aren't uh, competitive bodybuilders? Maybe they're power lifters. Maybe they're just trying to get jacked. What well, do you- I'm still saying the same thing. So okay. posing tremendously increases your ability to connect with that muscle and connect with your body in space. Right? Like to be able to contract muscles statically is very important to be able to contract them when you're moving. So I think everyone should be posing at some level if you have a weak body part, even posing as a means of warming up for your workout, right? Like taking a muscle to all its various lengths, so a lengthened versus a shortened muscle and trying to contract them or learning to contract them is so, so beneficial to improving your ability to connect with that muscle. So it's by far the best thing you can do. And something people can do at home that's super easy is just body weight exercises. Like some of the best exercises that exist, push-ups, pull-ups, squats, lunges. Yes. Right? Like you could do those and that'll improve your ability to contract. So if you're training, let's say you want to build your quads and you, and you say like, hey, I'm training quads with 35 days and I'm hitting them really hard. Well, in between, there's nothing wrong with doing sets of squats and lunges every day because it's not creating enough of a stress to the muscle to elicit any type of damage to the muscle or stress to the nervous system. It's just taxing the system metabolically a little bit and then locking in the skill because that skill is so important, probably the most important thing in developing any body part, right? So if you don't have a skill for an exercise, the likelihood of building it is very, very small. So master the skill by repetitive exposure. I love that. I've been telling uh, some meathead friends of mine who are having trouble with uh, mind-muscle connection with like glutes and hamstrings and stuff. I've been telling people forever, do more lunges. There are a lot of big dudes out there that do lunges. Sure. Uh, lunges is the number one reason why my legs grew. Like anyone who has great legs is a great lunger. Okay. We're pulling that out and I'm sending it to everyone I know. Ben Bukulski is saying that lunges are a big reason why you've well, got your legs. Well, there's many reasons for that, right? One, you need to learn to contract that, that muscle um, hard from that lengthened position. But two, mm -hmm. the, one of the best things for pelvic stability is improving your lunge. So, um, you know, getting really, really stable in that position. Mm -hmm. Do you approach training uh, muscle building differently when you're working with men and women? Yeah. So, Women typically have uh, the ability to recover greater than men. I know you may be an exception to that, but women can typically handle um, more frequency and more volume. So, uh, I'll typically do obviously certain body parts more often. So, we may do legs more often, we may do glutes more often, chest a little less often. Um, Why? Well, because most women don't want to train their chest. So, they should. That's if Why? you don't want to, then you should. I don't know. No. Why not? Well, because of breast implants. It, Messes it up like 90% of the world has breast implants. That's another conversation for another <laughs> it's day. True though, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's going to disrupt the way they sit. So less really? chest training. Yeah. You see a lot of pro body so like going right. weird yeah. directions. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this one pointing needs to be videos. Yeah. They're pointing in different directions because you bench too much. Yes. Doesn't happen for real boobs, just saying. Right. In case anyone's um, worried. <laughs> no, no, women are never going to bench press now because they're worried about their boobs facing different directions. <sighs> okay. Yeah. So, um, that that's a big thing. And it's just the frequency for, for lower body. We're going to do a lot more frequency for lower body. And I think women in general, um, probably one, they can recover from more, but two, probably just don't create as much um, neurological stress to a muscle, right? So we could probably do it more often for that reason as well. Are you saying more frequency with lower body too because of generally that's where we hold our fat and we need to work a little bit harder to like see some some muscle development and some- Yeah, and most women are just looking to develop great legs, right? Yeah. 
Well, that's, not that's huge another one guns. of my goals is getting, yeah, getting women to want guns and delts instead of just butts. Butts are fine. Butts are fine. Everybody, there's butts everywhere. Can, do you have delts though? That's my question. <laughs> such a chip on my shoulder. Butts are great. I love butts. Okay. Uh, here's another question from the internet. What about uh, advice for coming back after a shoulder surgery? You want to get back in the gym? Yeah. So, depending on what the shoulder surgery was, um, the first thing is gaining back your range of motion, right? Like you have to make sure that as soon as you can after that surgery, you're getting back that range of motion and then you want to start loading it eccentrically. So, we don't want to start loading concentrically. And just again, the key is going to be laying those lines of, of fibrous tissue as fast as you can in a way that's in line with allowing you to get full range of motion. So, you got to get that mobility back as quickly as possible. And then, as I said, the next step in progress is loading it eccentrically in any way you can. Um, but th- that's really the simplest foundation, right? Is keep the range of motion small until you can make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And then eventually you're doing everything. I would do that before you load it, right? Like make sure you have as much range as possible back. Because as soon as you start loading, you develop compensation patterns. If you're loading it outside of what your body's capable of, your body goes, oh shit, let me tighten this thing up and you're going to start compensating. So like be really, really patient with the shoulder because it's such a complex joint that has no stability structurally, right? It's all muscular stability. So it's so important that you don't have those um, – you know, compensation patterns shoulder like I did, right? 2007, I tore my, six, I tore my rotator cuff and my whole shoulder ever since has been jacked. How'd you tear it? Um, I was doing pull-ups and my strap broke. So, my one hand held on, the other hand, bro- other hand. You're doing weighted pull-ups? That's body weight. You need straps for body weight pull-ups while well, you're 300 pounds. Yeah, okay. Well, no, but if you're doing high reps, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Okay. So, we're not talking about any extracurriculars for competitive bodybuilders, but just for bodybuilders, people who go into the gym and build muscle, what are some like across the board, maybe, I know you're not a big supplement guy, but are there any that you kind of recommend for people I'm for a big recovery and guy, stuff? Just okay. the right ones, right? It's okay. not like- You're picky with your supplements. Yeah, like do the right shit. Don't just do our stuff for the sake of doing it, right? You will ask you want to, what supplements I suggest Yeah, like everyone across take? the board. Like foundational thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, everyone uh, that I've ever met needs zinc and magnesium. Um, so, good quality multi-source zinc, good quality multi-source magnesium, like foundational. I think everyone should be taking fish oil. I think everyone should be taking collagen or glycine. Um, I think everyone should probably be taking vitamin D. I think everyone should probably be taking alpha GPC and some type of choline source. I think, uh, what else do I take? That's kind of it. And those are good for pretty much everybody because as you said, it doesn't matter if people are working out in the gym or not. Everybody's deficient in zinc, magnesium, and vitamin D, If you're, especially if you're living in Canada or most of the United States. What about like – are those for, again, just sort of overall health and recovery or – Yeah, just general. Like you state okay. these every day. And now if you start looking situationally specific, like do you yeah. want a stimulant? Do you want like a nootropic? Do you want like a something to calm you down? Do you want something for sleep? All those are different kind of stacks, right? But um, just in general, like – Everyone's needs magnesium and zinc, and everyone needs collagen or glycine or both doing the same thing uh, for the most part. Um, what do you think about pre workout? Well, when you think of pre workout, most people think of something stimulating, right? And I think a little bit of caffeine is very useful because mm-hmm. caffeine has tremendous uh, performance benefits. But really, like, you know, what are the, what are you looking for, right? And everyone kind of has a different need. Some people need to focus. Some people need some pump. Some people need some some energy from caffeine. I think most people are overstimulated with pre-workouts. Yeah. Um, so, if I'm 
designing a pre-workout. It's going to have a little bit of stimulation in it, just enough to kind of see, feel it a little bit, not to make you cracked out. And then a lot of stuff to help you focus and a little bit for a pump, right? So like focus to me is always the bottleneck because of the way I train and the way everyone probably should be training. Uh, Your ability to get inside your mind and be chilled out, laser laser focused, Mm -hmm. right? You don't want to be cracked out so you can't slow down and no think. scalp itch you don't right. want the right, exactly <laughs> crawling out of your own skull kind yes. of yes. pump yeah i'm not that was never a big i mean i'm i'm big on like the caffeine and also again you know figuring out if you, if it's focus that you need there are nootropics and supplements that you can you can use for that but i kind of feel like if you need just like if you need four cups of coffee to literally function in a day if you need scalp tingling pre-workout to get you through your workout there are probably some other underlying factors you need to sort out maybe you need to sleep better maybe you need to recover a little bit more. Right. Um, yeah. Anyone who's drinking four cups of coffee a day or more, you know they're not sleeping. Like, yeah. They may think they're sleeping, but they're not getting this quality sleep they need. Yeah. You can't. Okay. Uh, final quick question. This one probably has to be a rapid fire. Who is your pick to win the Olympia this year? Well, there's been some rumors that Kai's coming back. If that's the case, I'd go with Kai. Okay. Has he said anything on social media? I'd love to see. Kind of. Okay. He t- tends to be vague in the way he speaks. You know that. Mm. Um, I'd love to see Brandon Curry win because I like Brandon. He's a good friend of mine. Okay. Realistically, it's probably going to be William Bonac. Why do you say that? The judges seem to like him. Should we have an episode dedicated at some point to the politics of judging? No. <laughs> Why not? Because I don't think it exists. <laughs> Just shut that down. You don't think that exists? Well, I think it's bullshit. I think it's a cop-out for people with – you know, looking for reasons to blame everything outside of I mean, I guess it is one of those be so great, you can't, whatever. But I mean, to say that it doesn't exist, come on. Sure. It exists a little bit, but it exists in everything. Everyone has favorites. Everyone says, hey, you know, I prefer blondes or brunettes or I prefer, you know, big biceps versus big but calves. But if that brunette's real good, they're going right. to win. That's right. Yeah. Like, and everyone just likes to make excuses because they can't take ownership for their fuck ups. Bottom line, if you're good enough to win, you win. I think that's a great place to end. Hashtag no excuses. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So if anybody else has any other training questions, because I was just, that was like just the tip of the iceberg, but I think that that was actually really helpful. And it's something that you maybe don't do as much as people would expect considering your background, but we need to do more of these because I think that's really helpful for people. I'm getting a little sleepy. Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) You need some more uh, pre-workout, dude. (laughs) I need some more pre-workout. I need a scalp itch. All right, Ash, thank you very much. Thanks, Ben. Everybody, if you want to send us a question, fire it into muscleintelligence.com slash podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast there um, so you guys can get all the updates and join our mailing list so you guys can potentially win one of our weekly giveaways. Head over to Instagram, head over to Twitter or iTunes and leave us a question or a review because we appreciate it from you guys as always. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.